Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. The People See, Respondent, v. Jonathan Baddix, Appellant. Jonathan R. McCoy, for Appellant. Rebecca Hausner, for Respondent. Defee or A, Chief Judge. This appeal by defendant presents the issue we found and preserved on the appeal of his co-defendant, People v. Bailey, 32NY3D70, 82-2018 namely, whether the trial court abused its discretion as a matter of law in giving the jury a curative instruction and foregoing a Buford inquiry, People v. Buford, 69NY2D290, 1987, of a sworn juror after her mid-trial exclamation that she was very offended by the repetitive use of a racial slur by Bailey's counsel while cross-examining the victim. Viewed in context, the record supports the trial court's findings that the juror's reaction was triggered by counsel's fifth and gratuitous use of the epithet, and provided no basis to indicate she was grossly unqualified. Since the entire incident unfolded in open court, a Buford inquiry of the juror was unnecessary, as the court was able to adequately assess that her outburst was not a transformative one and her sworn oath to be impartial remained intact. The court's remedy of admonishing the juror and counsel and issuing a carefully crafted curative instruction, which included a mechanism for any juror to advise the court if they could not be fair and impartial due to anything that occurred at trial, was not an abuse of its discretion. Thus, the appellate division order should be affirmed. Defendant Baddocks and co-defendants Wiggins and Bailey were tried jointly for their assault of Stephen Davis while the four men were incarcerated. Davis testified that a verbal dispute with Wiggins preceded the assault. Attempting to go Davis during cross-examination, Bailey, 32NY3D at 73, Bailey's counsel used Wiggins' various verbal taunts verbatim, including asking Davis four times whether Wiggins had called him an old N-word. Davis, who recalled the younger Wiggins had called him an old guy, also admitted Wiggins may have used the slur, but said he viewed the slur as just words. After changing topics, Bailey's counsel revisited Wiggins' verbal provocations, and, for the fifth time, asked Davis whether Wiggins called him an old N-word. Immediately, Juror 6 stood and said, Please, I am not going to sit here and have you say that again. Don't say it again or I'm leaving. I find that very offensive. The court immediately reprimanded the juror for her inappropriate outburst and admonished counsel for repeating the question a half dozen times, directing him to move on and stop asking the same question over and over and over again. Bailey's counsel moved for a mistrial, claiming Juror 6 was grossly unqualified because she was unable to separate the facts from her own distaste for the racial slur. The court found the juror's reaction was directed solely at the number of times the slur was used, not the legitimacy of the questioning. Baddock's counsel moved to strike the juror on the grounds asserted by Bailey. Finding that Juror 6 was not grossly unqualified, the court denied the defense motions and opted instead to issue the jurors a curative instruction, directing them that it was inappropriate to speak from the jury box, they may not form any opinion of guilt or non-guilt until the case is submitted to them. They were not to hold it against any party if they disliked or disapproved of questions or objections and, if any jurors felt they could not be fair and impartial due to something occurring during the trial, to inform a court officer, who would alert the court. 
The court advised counsel that juror 6 would be discharged if she told an officer she could not be fair and impartial. When Bailey's counsel stated that the racial epithet might come up in summation, the court cautioned him not to mention the word 15 times, adding it could understand someone being offended by the slur's repeated use, since Davis acknowledged Wiggins may have used the word. The court reiterated that, on its face, juror 6's conduct did not indicate she could not be fair and impartial only that she found the repeated use of the phrase distasteful and refused Baddock's request to specifically ask Juror 6 whether she could be fair and impartial. The court issued the promised curative instruction to the jury, adding that it would assume that all of you still believe that you can be fair and impartial. All three defendants were convicted, upon the jury verdicts of second-degree assault. The jury acquitted them of the two top counts and deadlocked on the remaining counts. The appellate division affirmed the judgment against Baddocks, finding the trial court properly determined, based on its own observations, that no Buford inquiry was necessary. 165 AD 3D 591 First Department 2018. A judge of this court granted defendant leave to appeal, 32 NY 3D 1202 2019, and we now affirm. A defendant has a constitutional right to a trial by an impartial jury, People v. Cousin, 31 NY 3D 478, 483, 2018, one chosen according to law and in whose selection the parties have participated, Buford, 69 NY 2D at 297 to 298. To protect this constitutional right, the legislature has enacted several procedural safeguards in CPL Article 270, Buford, 69 NY2D at 298. After the jury is sworn, but before the rendition of the verdict, the court's authority to discharge an incompetent juror is set forth in CPL 270.35 and is narrowly circumscribed. In Buford, we set forth a framework for trial courts to determine pursuant to CPL 270.35, 1, whether a sworn juror must be discharged as grossly unqualified to serve due to facts unknown at the time of selection or where the juror has engaged in misconduct of a substantial nature. Given the gravity of a juror's oath, the court's removal of a sworn juror places a greater burden upon the moving party than if a prospective juror was challenged for cause and is satisfied only when it becomes obvious that a particular juror possesses a state of mind which would prevent the rendering of an impartial verdict, Buford, 69 NY2D at 298 internal quotation marks and citations omitted. As this court has long recognized, the law prescribes the qualifications of jurors. The court cannot add to, or detract from them. It cannot itself select the jury, directly or indirectly. It cannot in its discretion, or capriciously, set aside jurors as incompetent, whom the law declares are competent, Hildreth v. Troy, 101 NY 234, 239, 1886. A sworn juror is not grossly unqualified and subject to removal merely because the juror is irritated with one of the attorneys or disagrees with the way the evidence is presented, Buford, 69 NY 2D at 299. Further, a juror's declaration of being emotional about the case is not equivalent to a declaration of actual bias or state of mind preventing the juror from deciding the case solely on the evidence, as a declaration regarding emotions alone does not render a juror grossly unqualified. People v. Spencer, 29 NY 3D 302, 311, 
2017-2017. We review a trial court's response to allegations of juror impartiality for abuse of discretion because the trial judge, having the ability to continually observe the jury in court, is in the best position to assess juror demeanor and bias and to devise an appropriate remedy, Cuzd. 31 NY 3D at 485. This unique vantage point demands that courts be afforded wide latitude in investigating allegations of juror bias and in making the delicate determination as to whether a juror has become grossly unqualified, id. Under this flexible approach, not every allegation of juror misconduct warrants an intrusive Buford inquiry, and we have approved alternate procedures and ameliorative instructions when juror bias or partiality is not in doubt, id. At 485 to 486. In determining whether there are new facts to impugn the jury's original oath of impartiality or need to investigate alleged juror misconduct, the court must consider the content of the allegations, the seriousness of the alleged misconduct or bias, and the credibility of the source, id. At 485, quoting United States v. Angulo. 4F3D843, 847-9th Circle 1993. Thus, while a court must investigate and, if necessary, correct a problem, it must also avoid tainting a jury unnecessarily. In this endeavor, sometimes less is more. In People v. Mejillas, we approved of the court's issuance of a curative jury instruction without a Buford inquiry, where a juror's note suggested premature jury deliberations as it did not indicate the juror's impartiality was in doubt or that the juror had committed any misconduct, 21 NY 3D 73, 79 We again deferred to the trial court's broad discretion in investigating factual issues of juror bias in custody, approving of the court's preliminary step of eliciting the spectator's sworn testimony as to an allegation of juror misconduct, resulting in the court's threshold finding that the allegation was not credible which allowed it to rule out the need for a Buford inquiry. Indeed, a Buford inquiry may not always be the best course of action in response to an alleged prejudicial occurrence, and the court may fashion an alternative remedy that simultaneously protects defendants' right to an impartial jury while ensuring that the jury proceedings are not jeopardized by unauthorized invasions, cuz 31 NY 3D at 486, quoting Rimmer v. United States. 347 U.S. 227, 229, 1954. As we have reasoned, unnecessarily confronting sworn jurors with unfounded, irrelevant, or incredible allegations of misconduct may impact the impartiality of the jury, and mandating such an intrusive procedure regardless of the particular circumstances of a case may only encourage untoward tactics intended to disrupt the proceedings, id. To be sure, our state courts often resolve incidents of juror annoyance with counsel without a Buford inquiry, as an outward expression of irritation does not, without more, indicate impartiality, see for example People v. Major, 143 AD 3D 1155 3D Department 2016, LV Denied 28 NY 3D 1147, 2017, People v. Benet. 45 AD 3D 1449 Fourth Department 2007, LV Denied 10 NY 3D 761, 2008.
Likewise, the Second Circuit ruled in United States v. Ponebianco that no voir dire was required after two jurors expressed annoyance with counsel's questions, instructing that they were only exhibiting impatience with defense counsel's questioning, that had been admittedly a little facetious and repetitious at times. That jurors react naturally does not mean they are biased. By reiterating his cautionary instruction to the jury, the court did all that was necessary. Under the circumstances, this was probably a wiser course than a voir dire and was clearly not an abuse of discretion, emphasis added. Applying the foregoing principles, the trial court's measured response here was not an abuse of discretion. The court's findings, which are entitled to deference as the court had the advantage of personally observing Juror 6's demeanor and body language, People v. Johnson, 92 in White 2D 976, 978, 1998, are fully supported by the record. Based on its own observations of counsel and Juror 6's conduct in open court, the court found that the juror's understandable reaction was triggered by counsel's repetitive use over and over again of an offensive racial epithet that was gratuitous, as the witness already acknowledged Wiggins may have used the word. There was no indication that the juror's ability to maintain her sworn oath to render an impartial verdict was hampered by exposure to any facts outside the four corners of the evidence. Thus, no probing Buford inquiry was needed to evaluate the nature of what the juror has seen, heard, or has acquired knowledge of, and assess its importance and its bearing on the case, 69 NY2D at 299, as all pertinent facts were already before the court providing a sound basis for its conclusion that her outburst was due to a natural frustration wholly unrelated to her state of mind in evaluating the evidence. In fact, Juror 6 revealed to all in earshot that she felt very offended by counsel's repetitious use of an extremely pejorative phrase. Her conduct in voicing her personal distaste for that disturbing trial strategy, while a breach of courtroom decorum, did not render her grossly unqualified or equate with a state of mind that prevented her from rendering an impartial verdict. Each juror inevitably brings to the jury room a lifetime of experience that will necessarily inform her assessment of the witnesses and the evidence. Emotions are natural human responses and the law does not expect jurors to be devoid of such feelings so long as they have the capacity and the will to decide the case based solely on the facts as they find them and applicable law as instructed by the court. Spencer, 29NY3D at 311-312. Juror 6's momentary expression of exasperation after the fifth iteration of the offensive word neither presented any conflict with those basic tenets nor indicated any alteration of her state of mind from the point when she took her solemn oath. The court's curative instructive was a thorough and sensible approach that addressed each of the concerns raised by counsel and appreciated the outburst for what it was, not an act of substantial misconduct, but a spontaneous outcry prompted by the repetitive use of a racial slur. The court immediately admonished Juror 6 for her brief disruptive conduct and reset the orderly nature of the proceedings. The court's instruction that jurors should report to the court if they could not remain fair and impartial accomplished by a less confrontational and broader stroke, the same result that would have been afforded by a Buford inquiry of the single juror, and sworn jurors are presumed to have followed those clear directives, People v. Davis, 5810Y2D1102. In sum, the record supports the court's conclusion that Juror 6's verbalized reaction reflected understandable exasperation with counsel's tactics and nothing more. 
the court's swift admonishments advising the juror and counsel to regain appropriate courtroom decorum and its measured less is more remedy, cuz 31 NY 3D at 486, in the form of a curative instruction instead of a more particularized inquiry of juror 6 was not an abuse of discretion on this record. Accordingly, the order of the appellate division should be affirmed. Order affirmed. Opinion by Chief Judge DeFiore. Judges Stein, Garcia and Feynman concur. Judge Wilson dissents in an opinion in which Judges Rivera and Fahi concur. Decided October 20, 2020. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.